Amos chapter 7, verse 1. Thus hath the Lord the God, Lord God shown unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was that the latter's growth after the king's mowing. Now I'll read chapter 2, too. And it came to pass that when had made an eating of the grass in the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. The Lord repented for this, it shall not be, saith the Lord. All right, let's pray before again today's uh, Sunday school. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible, that we have it to learn from, to uh, educate us, to make it part of our lives, Lord. We ask that you be with this church now as we study your word that this be a church dedicated to studying your word, knowing your word, learning your word, and of course, sharing your word. And pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So today, as you know, we have the big practices and such downstairs, so we'll have our joint Sunday school for one, so we welcome all the high school folks that aren't normally in here, and that may not have uh, caught up on our study here of the book of Amos. And so as you know, because so many people are out downstairs, other places, Chinese school or whatever. Um, usually we take a break once per year to kind of do a catch-up, a review, to see where we've been and where we're going, right? And it makes some sense too, because if you're in high school, you don't know what this is all about and where we are and where we're going and what we're studying and why and all those kind of questions. So today we're going to recap a little bit about the book of Amos, chapters 1 through 6, and give you a little preview of chapters 7, 8, 9. Believe it or not, that's the end. So not that far to go. I think we will finish it sometime in the year 2020 and then move on to whatever's next. And we'll see. Maybe you guys will have input on what we should do next, right? But we started, started talking about the book of Amos looking at the big picture. And this is what I always like to do, right? To tell you guys what's the big picture. What's the takeaway? What do we need to learn from this, right? Amos, if we had to sum it up in one word, the one word summary of the book of Amos, so that if you learn nothing else and you tune me out for the rest of this time and every other message, know this. Amos is about judgment. Judgment. I think I've said that you know, a hundred times already from, uh, from these messages. So hopefully you guys at least get that. The prophet Amos talks repeatedly over and over again about judgment. And that's the overall theme of this book. We start off in chapter one, listing off the sins and the coming judgment for Gentile nations, right? If you remember way back in chapter one, it was a list of all these different countries and what they did wrong, right? This is what was wrong with Damascus. This is what's wrong in Gaza, in Tyrus, in this place, in that place. It listed off all the wrongs. And these were like serious, serious wrongs, right? That they would be called out for things like literally war crimes. War crimes like, you know, taking people into slavery unjustly, murdering pregnant women, Right? All these type of things. It's like serious stuff. It's not like a tiny thing. It's like a big thing. Oh, these are the crimes that these Gentile nations had done. And for that, there's a judgment. In chapter 1, it talked about all the different bad things that would happen in these countries for the bad stuff they did. Whether it be that there'd be fire in their country or gripped by wars or whatever. That's what chapter 1 was all about, sending judgment on these Gentile nations. And in fact, chapter 2 starts off with that too, finishing up the last one. 
But then it transitions. It transitions, right? Because first, first, right, it talked about the transgressions and problems of the Gentiles. But then it switched into transgressions and problems of the Jews, right? If you were a Jewish guy listening to Amos, maybe in chapter 1 you'd be like, hey, this sounds, this sounds good and fair, right? They did bad stuff. They deserve judgment. Perfect. But then when the thing turns to them, maybe they're not so happy, right? To hear that, hey, you guys did wrong too. But there's a difference, right? The wrongs that we hear about when we talk about uh, Israel and Judah aren't on the same level it feels like. It doesn't feel like they're, God is accusing them of doing like war crimes and criminality and all these horrible murders and stuff. But what he's saying about them is that they didn't walk right with the Lord. Right? Now, on one level, you say, well, isn't this like a totally different judgment? On the one hand, these uh, Gentile nations didn't murder. And on the other hand, you have the Jewish countries. Oh, they're doing stuff like worshiping idols or whatever, right? Isn't that different? You have Jewish people that are treating the poor badly, right? You have Jewish people not worshiping correctly. Well, the differences, the differences, as we looked at way back when, here a year ago or whatever when we studied this, was that the Jewish nations should have known better, right? It's, that's a difference. You can't say that the Gentiles knew all of God's law and his commandments and all that kind of stuff. How are they supposed to know? They don't even believe in God. They can still be punished for stuff that everyone agrees is wrong, even without knowing God's word, right? Even without knowing God's word, we know that certain like war crimes and horrible things that these people are doing are bad. Everyone agrees on that, right? But these Jewish people, they knew beyond that, not just the obvious. They should know what it says in the law. They had the Torah. They had Moses writing his books of laws. They knew all these things, yet they did not follow it. They did not follow it. And what was the end result of that? Just as it was with the Gentile nations, what is it? It's that same word again. The same word, judgment. Judgment was the result of these actions. And then we moved into chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, which were basically three dissertations about why judgment's coming to Israel, right? They all started with this one repeated phrase, right? Hear this word, hear this word. That's how I knew three is one element, four is one element, and five and six is one element, right? So I said, hear this word, hear this word. So Amos gives these speeches, three different speeches or dissertations or whatever you want to call it, about the sins of Israel, right? In chapter three, one of the things that we focused in on was this idea he said in chapter in verse chapter three, verse three, it says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? That Israel and Judah, the Jewish nations, they had fallen in with people that did not follow God at all. And they treated that as normal, right? That it was like, oh, you know, there's ungodly people, ungodly things, I can do that. And then it's all fine. But we know from our experiences that that doesn't work that way, right? If two people are not walking on the same path, then it's inevitably going to lead to separation, problems, all these type of things. We know it just from our own lives, right? We know that 
in a marriage relationship. If two people aren't agreed and working toward the same goals, it's going to lead to a lot of strife in that relationship, right? If one person wants this and one person wants that, it's going to lead to problems all day long, right? Likewise, if our God says this, but the Gentile God says that, and sometimes we follow this God, sometimes we follow that God, that doesn't work out. It might feel good for the person who says, hey, I'm doing whatever I want. But in the end, that's doing it the wrong way. And chapter 3 kind of uh, talks about those transgressions of Israel and all the problems they had like that and the coming judgment. Horrible judgment, right? That they'd be ripped apart just like a, a, just like a lion would rip apart someone, right? That this was the result of them basically choosing to tear themselves apart by following differently, differently against the Lord. In chapter 4, chapter 4, we saw the problem of wrong worship. Wrong worship, right? Again, this is another matter of knowing what God's standards was. They should know what God's standard is, what his rules is, what his expectations are, but then not following through on it. We saw the in chapter 4, verse 4, this. This is the verse we highlighted when we studied it, right? This sarcastic comment, come to Bethel and transgress Gilgad and multiply transgression, right? God didn't literally say, oh, I want you guys to do transgressions against me and multiply your transgressions and keep doing more stuff. He used these places and as an example of this is how you guys are doing it right? You guys are doing it this way. You're worshiping me in the wrong place, going to Bethel, going to Gilgal, doing it your own way. My temple is in Jerusalem, right? You're not coming to Jerusalem and offering me sacrifices the way I explained it. You guys are doing it, whatever it is you want. And once again, because of this failure, what comes next? Judgment. Judgment again. And it lists out again all this horrible judgment coming to Israel for their failure to walk right, to follow God. Chapters 5 and 6 now. 5 and 6. Again, hear ye this word. But also, when we studied 5, we point out this other phrase that he used a lot. Seek. Seek ye this and seek ye that. Some of it was really, really obvious stuff that some you figured might not even need to be said. Right? It was so obvious. For example, in verse 14, he said this, Seek good and not evil, that ye may live. Shouldn't that be obvious? Shouldn't that be obvious to all of Israel and Judah that they should have followed the good way and not the evil way? But yes, they were so bad, they were so bad, that even this simple message needed to be repeated to them because that's not what they were seeking. It said, verse number four, seek ye me, seek God, and ye shall live. But that was not their heart, right? It even says in the following verse, in verse five, but seek not Bethel, right? Seek not Gilgal, right? They were seeking the wrong stuff. They were trying to follow God, but doing it in the wrong way. The short idea is that, based on what they seek, is that their heart was all in the wrong. Their goal was all in the wrong. What you seek, what you strive for, right? We know today still, 
we still do evil. I'm not a perfect person. I do evil. God's going to look at my life and still see all the sins that I still do even today. But he knows this too. I don't seek to do wrong. That's not my goal. My life's goal is not to do wrong, and that's not my ambition. I try to seek him. And would be to God that everyone here has that same heart and that same spirit, that our seeking is all based on him. But yet so much is the case that today people actively seek out the things of the world that lead them into the things of evil, lead them into things away from God, right? Our heart goes to the wrong place and our actions follow. When our heart is focused on things like only caring about money, that's when we compromise our Christian beliefs in the pursuit of more money, right? That's the wrong pursuit. That's the wrong belief. When our heart is focused on God and doing God's will, we're seeking good. And even when we screw up, we correct ourselves. We try to get back on the right path, the path of repentance, the path of righteousness. And we've got to be on the path of repentance and the path of righteousness. Why? To avoid judgment. To avoid judgment. Verse number six talks about judgment for another reason. And this was something that was repeated. And I didn't mention it, I didn't mention it in my summary, but it came up before. It highlights one of the wrong attitudes. And it ties into what they seek, what they sought. It ties into how they treated the poor. It ties it all together, right? That in chapter 6, we last time studied how the people of Israel and Judah, what do they care about? Verse number 1, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. They cared about having the easy life. They wanted the easy life, right? That's why they didn't care if, oh, we stepped on the poor. They didn't care about all these other things. They want to do what makes them happy, right? And they wanted to live in luxury, not caring about anyone else or anything else. We talked about it last time, the imagery in verse number four of chapter six, about them lying upon beds of ivory, stretching on couches, eating the lambs of the flock, right? You can imagine this stereotypical rich guy image of a thousand, two thousand years ago, relaxing, having servants waiting on you hand and foot, just eating, doing nothing, sitting on your bed in a beautiful bed of ivory or whatever. That's their life that they coveted. That's what they were seeking. They didn't care about anything about God and following God and sharing his word and all this stuff. Who cares about that? That's hard. And that's what we focused on last time. That the Christian life is not the life of ease. Right? It's not easy to wake up on Sunday morning and get here, to sit here and listen to me ramble on about the Bible, right? All of us would much rather, if we had our own life, sleep in, stay home and watch football or whatever, right? That's easy. That fulfills your own needs, your own wants, your own selfish desires, right? It's not easy to put money in the offering plate, your hard-earned cash. It's much easier to just take that money and spend it on going on a fancy vacation, buying a, a new car, those sure would make you a lot happier, right? And, uh, and give you uh, a lot of uh, physical enjoyment. 
God's never promised the Christians the easy life. But it's actually the struggle, the struggle in our lives that draws us closer to him, that helps us understand him and to understand how he carries us through all these things. It's when we ignore God and all these things that we lose sight of it. Right? You can imagine some rich guy like, I don't know, Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg or whoever these billionaires are. What do they think about God or care about God? They can say that they made a billion dollars on their own or more than a billion dollars and live in luxury and not have to want for years. Their children won't have to care for their whole lives, their children's children's, their whole family forever, taking care of forever, not have any want or need ever. But those are all physical, not spiritual. God focused on the spiritual. And we want to be right in the spiritual sense and avoid judgment in the spiritual sense. We need to follow God. See, the overarching thing about this idea about judgment, when Amos talks about it, is not just, oh, in the abstract to tell you that God can be angry and God can judge. It's also a call to repent. It's that Israel and Judah, you're doing it wrong. We're warning you judgment is coming. Won't you come back to God? Won't you do it right? And folks, that's the same message we have today, isn't it? Isn't it true that we all sinned and there's a judgment coming? That judgment is hell. Won't you repent? Won't you call out to Jesus to save you from your sins? That's the significance of judgment, isn't it? That's a significance for us today. And hopefully all of us have heard that message loud and clear and bowed down on our knees and called out to God and Jesus and saying, yes, save me. I need you to save me, God. I am judged as a sinner. I did do wrong. Save me, O Lord. That's the message of judgment number one. Hopefully all of you guys have done number one. But number two, judgment serves as a constant reminder Israel needed this constant reminder of what is right, what is wrong, to follow God and his word. We need that constant reminder too, don't we? It's only when we know judgment is near sometimes that we get snapped into the right behavior and the right thinking. And I use this example many times before, but think about this way. If you were driving and you saw in your rearview mirror, there's that police car behind you, you know that you're being judged, right? That police car is judging you, watching you, how you drive. Are you using your turn signal? Are you driving too fast? Did you make a full and complete stop at that stop sign? When the police car is behind you, you're super careful, aren't you? You're not messing up. You're making sure that, yes, I'm signaling every time. I'm stopping every time. I'm not running any red lights because I'm going to be judged. If I screw up, I'm going to get pulled over. I'm going to get a parking. I'm going to get a ticket of some sort. That's judgment on us, on the way we drive. But when the police is not around, how do we drive? Well, you're like me, right? Oh, you might be a little more loose, right? Oh, I'm running late, better time to drive faster. Stop sign, roll on through, right? Making a turn, oh, I forgot the signal, oh, whatever, right? Oh, there's no police, you got away with it, right? No big deal, no blood, no foul, right? 
That's the way we think in our lives sometimes. But you see, we have to remember that our greatest judge, God, is always watching. It's as if the policeman is following us around all day long. He sees each and every one of our sins, even the sins in our own heart. And when we have this knowledge, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we act on that knowledge to know that, hey, God, I can do what's right for you. I can do what's better for you. I want to make sure that my testimony is one I can be proud of. That when you look at me in my life continually, that you're not ashamed of me. That I'm not ashamed of me. That I don't have to answer to you, God, and say that, God, I'm sinning all the time. I'm doing things wrong all the time. I'm acting just like Israel was all the time in the book of Amos. No, 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 no. We want to make sure that we are factoring in God's judgment in our lives. Imagining, imagining that God is standing right there. Because you know what? He is with us. When we get saved, we have Jesus in our heart. He is with us. He is in us. He's watching us. He's there. Would that affect the way your life goes? That Jesus is watching your every step? Jesus is watching you when you smoke a cigarette, when you drink the alcohol, when you do whatever. We don't want that, do we? We want to be able to show him that he can judge us righteous. In chapter 7, 8, 9, we're going to see five more examples of God's judgment, God's withheld judgment, and God's actual judgment, and God's measuring stick for judgment. We're going to study that in the coming months as we continue our studies here. But right now, we're going to end off in a word of prayer. All right. Dear God, thank you for Amos. You know, we've studied a lot in the past year, and we just did a big recap of it. Hopefully everyone here learned at the bare minimum that Amos is all about judgment. Help us to learn more about your word and study your word continually. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.